This is your coffee break. Hey friends, Sarah here. I'm back again this week. I have with me a guest I'm very excited to share with you. His name is Bob Stromberg, and he is a master of creativity. I'm so excited about this. Uh, A quick bio here before we get into our conversation. Um, From his home in St. Paul, Minnesota, which is right here by Sioux Falls, where I live, Bob Stromberg travels continually performing his unique blend of original story, stand-up, and shtick. His work has left lasting impressions on Fortune 500 companies, raised multi-millions for nonprofits, garnered literary and theater awards, and even broken box office records in the U.S. and Europe. The London Times has said he is a genuinely funny man. The Chicago Sun-Times called him a mesmerizing physical comedian. And most impressively, Bob has recently started a podcast. It's called The Wide-Eyed Creative, and I'm very excited to share this with you. Bob has joined a very small group of elite artists who has stayed prolific and profitably busy for over 40 years. He has done this by mastering the art of creativity, which is an online class that he has started as well. And so, Bob... Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here today. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for having me. It's just a delight to be on your podcast. Um, I want you to know that I'm a fan of yours and your oh. podcast. Um, I just think it's great. I, I This morning, um, I listened to one podcast last night, and this morning I listened to your uh, Coffee Break 45 with Ryan Dalton. Oh, yeah. And I had not actually, I haven't read Ryan and didn't know Ryan, uh, but I just thought the podcast was wonderful. And I went right on iTunes, which all of your listeners should do, by the way. (laughs) I went right on iTunes and I left a review there. Uh, I leave short reviews. And my review was, um, yes, what a great podcast. And I really believe it. It's just congratulations. It's wonderful. Bob, thank you so much. That just means the absolute world to me. Thank you so much. You bet. I would just love to get a little bit of a background with your relationship with creativity. I always think that it's so interesting to delve into people's lives and see um, how creativity has affected them and how that they've embraced that. So could you tell us a little bit about your story? Oh, absolutely. I I, uh, I sat in a, a third grade music class. Uh, I was eight years old. And our teacher, Miss Nagel, came in the room. And uh, Miss Nagel was a, a very large woman. And she sat on a very, with her back to us, she sat on a very small music stool, which was, which tickled, tickled all of us. And, and she began playing a, a new song that we had not heard before. And it was, honestly, I remember this. I see it in my mind. It was a number 14 in our songbook. I can see a thin picture across the top of the page, an Amish looking fellow walking through a late summer meadow, um, storm clouds in the back, a little blue a splash of blue river in, in the, in the foreground. And she began playing this song and it was Shenandoah. Oh, Shenandoah, I long to see you gone away, you rolling river. And you, one can only imagine how, Terrible this sounded with 38-year-olds uh, singing it, uh, not knowing the song, but still singing it at the top of their lungs. And I sat there, eight years old, honest to goodness, I, I burst into tears. And my classmates looked at me, which was embarrassing. And then when the song was done, I was sort of uh, sobbing there. And, and Miss Nagel made her way down the aisle, and she, she asked me what was wrong. But I couldn't answer because how does a – how does a third year or a, a, a third grader, an eight-year-old, 
describe what it means to be overwhelmed by the beauty of art. Mm. I was absolutely, now you would think, well, there must be something wrong with this boy's home or his family or there's something going on. There was nothing going on in that way. I was just bowled over by the beauty of that melody. And I'm singing words like, Oh, Shenandoah, I love your daughter, gone away, you rolling river. I have no, I have no <laughs> idea what this means. Uh, but but I was, the, the melody just, um, it, it overwhelmed me. I was just overcome by the, by the beauty of art. And that began for me, and that was eight years old, that began for me a, a, a journey of being involved with art and, and creativity, growing up in this little uh, culturally deprived town in Pennsylvania, a little factory town. There no art at all there, um, and but but I was uh, I was just captured by it. I was uh, it, it had me. I began writing songs when I was a young teenager. Um, I began telling stories about those songs and then singing the songs when I was in college. Uh, I went and saw Marcel Marceau when, when I was in, in Paris one summer during college. Um, and I ended up studying mime and acting then for two years after that and then began performing and writing uh, short stories and writing plays and writing comedy material. Comedy has been the real uh, for 40 years. That's what I've done. But then I've also done it in, in theater and um, through, through places. And um, so not just all stand up comedy, in other words, and, and storytelling. But that's what I've done now for for 40 years. And I, and I began to look back. Uh, actually, I was digging through some books back in 2015, some boxes of books in my cellar trying to find something. And, and I stumbled upon some old work calendars. Hmm. And the oldest one was from 1975. And I opened up this calendar and I went to September 15th, which was the present date. I went to September 15th and there was my first professional booking. Hmm. Uh, and I brought the calendar upstairs and I said to my wife, Judy, I said, Judy, look at this. We, we've we been doing this for 40. This is like a celebration. We've been doing this for 40 years. And she said, huh. And that was the extent of our celebration. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was the whole thing. But um, I, th- that captured me that I realized, oh, my goodness, there aren't very many people who have been able to do this, to, to be self-employed and to do only what um, what I started out doing back in 1975. I, I've never I've never had a boss. I've never had a job. This is all I've done is write uh, my own material, whether it's music or theater or comedy, and perform it. Uh, that's that's all I've ever done. And so I began to sort of reverse engineer what have I been doing? What is what has enabled me to do what so few people really have been able to pull off. And I realized that the element through all of it has been creativity. And then I started thinking, well, what what is it? What is this? And I, I came to the understanding uh, that there are two words that are really helpful for us to understand what creativity is and how it works. And those two words are the first one is gift mm. and the second one is craft. Uh, creativity is a gift in as much as something of creativity is woven into our very genes. We're born with it. Mm -hmm. But we're not born creative. What we're born with is the capacity and the desire to experience creativity. Mm. 
Uh, and we all begin using this gift almost immediately as we move from infancy into our early childhood. We begin experimenting with this gift, which is just a capacity, just a desire. But we begin experimenting with it through the process of play. Uh, I, I have people say to me very often, I'm not creative. My my brother is, my sister's the creative one in the family, but I couldn't create something to, to save my life. To which I say, well, you're probably right. <laughs> I mean, if, if, if you say so, uh, if you say you're not creative, you're probably not. But you used to be. Mm-hmm. When, you were a, when you were a baby, one day you rolled from your front to your back and you couldn't wait to try it again. Mm-hmm. And you got up on your knees one day and you rocked back and forth for about a week before you even <laughs> dared to crawl. And it was just thrilling to you. And you learned that if you did that thing with your nose, your parents would laugh and you <laughs> loved it. And you held a crayon in your hand and you pulled it over a piece of paper one day. Uh, Man, that was exciting. Or in the case of my four-year-old son, by the way, who is now an artist, he's 40, um, you found out that you could – uh, you could take that pink magic marker and color in all the white flowers on mom and dad's new couch. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was an exciting day in our family for everybody. Um, and and y- y- you were doing what we all did. You were experimenting with that gift of, of uh, that gift aspect of creativity through the medium of play. All of our play as children was creative. And in fact, even as adults, when we experience creativity, and you know this, Sarah, when when you experience creativity, it still feels like play. Mm-hmm. It's so fun. So uh, what happens to that gift? Where, where does it go? Well, that depends upon where you live. If you're a hungry child living in a third world poverty somewhere and you're hauling water for hours every day and you're, you're suffering with malaria, there's not a lot of time or energy left for play at the end of the day. Mm. And if you're a child in our developed Western world, when you go to school, you discover real early on that you have to give the one right answer mm. to the question. And at the end of the line, you have to write in that one correct word. And you have to write the one correct number at the bottom of that that math problem. And you have to circle the one correct multiple choice. And it gets harder and harder to experience that gift of creativity because creativity doesn't work that way. Creativity is not about finding the one correct answer. Creativity is about playfully trying many, many possible correct answers. Mm-hmm. The, the, so the gift is still there. It doesn't go away, but you find yourself that, unable to open it up. Mm. Uh, so you begin to feel that you're not creative anymore. Other people are. You can see that. It's apparent. But but uh, I, you just guess you didn't get the gift at all. And I really believe that uh, that's where most people are. Uh, and, and I think that the um, the sadness about that is because we're made to create, it's not a gift that just some people have. We're born with that capacity and that desire. So if we do not fulfill that, I think there's always a sense that there's something missing in our lives. And that's why it's helpful to understand that the gift is the capacity and the desire, but creativity itself is actually a craft. Mm-hmm. It's a skill. It's a process. And like all crafts, we get better and better at it by practicing, uh, practicing the creative fundamentals of discipline uh, as long as we know what they are. And, and that's what I so that's where I've been. And that's and, and that's what I'm now teaching. Oh, my gosh, I could listen to you talk about this all day long. One of my favorite quotes is, um, and I think it was Albert Einstein who said this, which is kind of 
weird, but he said creativity is intelligence having fun. And yeah. I, and I love I love that. I love that so much. And there's there's something in us and and you touched a little bit on uh going to school and being taught that there's just one right answer where where we have the I don't know if it's the desire to play, but the permission to play sort of wrung out of us as we age, as we grow up. And we end up thinking of creativity as something, you know, just for kids. And how do you get back into giving yourself permission to play? How do you give yourself permission to be creative again? Well, you have to, you have to actually start. Mm. Um, and, and it's, it's like in any learning, any uh, craft, you have to dive in in some in some way. You have to say, "I'm going to do this." What I identified is that there there are three disciplines of creativity, and if we practice these disciplines, we actually uh, develop. And this is neuroscience now. We actually develop a neural pathway in our brain that wasn't there before. Uh, you've probably heard the the uh, saying that you can develop a habit in three weeks. Mm-hmm. Well. I'd heard that my whole life since I was a little boy. When the, the, I don't even know if the word neuroscience existed when I was a little boy, but <laughs> I, I had heard that it, in three weeks you can develop a, a habit, and it's actually true now. And they've proven that that you can they can actually see it. Uh, they can take a take a picture uh, of your brain and the activity there, and then three weeks later, if you've practiced anything, in fact, they even say if you practice something between four and fifteen minutes a day. For three weeks, if you really concentrate working on something, you develop a new neural pathway. It's not a strong one, but it's there. And then if you, if you repeat that cycle two or three more times, you actually get a really strong neural pathway and things become become habits. And we, we normally think of habits from a negative uh, perspective, but habits are are wonderful, can be wonderful things. I mean, think about this. I don't know if you know this or not, Sarah, but when you get up in the morning and you put your shoes on, you always put the same shoe on first every day. <laughs> it's either the right or the left, obviously. You put that shoe on first. Um, and try it tomorrow. When you get up, try to put the other one on first. <laughs> and it will feel so strange. And it's and you'll be thinking, this is, this is not right. When you take a shower, when you get out of the shower – Drying off. When we dry off after a shower, it's like choreography. We do it. We do it like a dance. It's exactly the same day after day after day, which is a wonderful thing because we don't have to think about it anymore. We don't have to waste any any energy trying to figure out how do I dry myself off or how do I dress. We do it the same every single day, and that's the idea. Um, the idea is to make the creative process to dive in, to work at these disciplines, to make the creative process a habit so that you don't have to think about it. Mm. So it's not hard work. It's actually easy. And then it becomes a lot more fun. Um, and, and I've identified these three disciplines. Um, and I say this is how you get, G-I-T. This is, how you, <laughs> this is how you get your Masters of Creativity. G stands for grab, I for interrogation, and T for transform, oh, excuse me, I is for interrogate. So grab, interrogate, and transform. And what we grab, and when I say grab, I mean we write down so we don't lose it. We grab anything that grabs us emotionally. 
So in any emotion, so um, I know I'm speaking mainly to writers here. This is the most useful thing for for a writer. Sometimes we get the idea that I'm, I need to come up with some ideas. I need I, I don't have any ideas. I need to find some ideas. No, you don't need you don't need to think of ideas. Just become emotionally aware and begin writing down random thoughts, memories, experiences things that happen this very day that have an emotional component to that, that, that pull you, that grab you emotionally. So it's something that makes you smile, something that makes you sad, something that, that ticks you off. Um, it's not an idea. It's just something that grabs you emotionally, and you write it down. Saw that little girl in the market, the way her mom treated her, ticked me off. Saw this. Um, uh, saw the spider webs uh, on the plants, the dew on the spider webs uh, mm-hmm. in that field field of flowers today. Never seen those before. Just so you write down like a sentence or just a few words, just enough to remember it. And if you do this every day, as you can imagine, in a week you've got a you you've got fifteen twenty things probably that you've grabbed during the week. So you grab those things, then you interrogate them, which is simply going back to that journal or back to that list. My, I just call it a, my grab file. It's on my phone. I don't actually write it now. I speak it in. Yeah. Um, you go back to that to that list and you interrogate it. You scan down through that list, and several of them will jump out at you as being the strongest ones. And and you you say, why did you grab me? Why do I still feel what I feel when I remember this experience? What was what? What do you want to be? Are you an illustration? Are you a character in a book? Are you something that 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 character might say to somebody else? Could I use you in some way? What is your purpose? You interrogate it, and then and you understand this. I know you understand this, Sarah, and, and so many of your listeners do too. There's a moment when you've grabbed and then you're interrogating your list. There's the moment when the thought that you've grabbed. It's not an idea. It's just a thought that you've grabbed when it uh, it becomes an idea. That's the aha moment. There it is uh, where you go. Now I know what I can do with that. And that's the most exciting moment because thoughts are not the thoughts you've grabbed are not actionable, but ideas are. And once that thought that you've grabbed and interrogated becomes an idea, now you ha- now you have something you can do f- with it. You can actually transform it into whatever that creation is, whether it's a it's a chapter in a book or a character in a book or something that this character would say. And often when you're grabbing these things, they're they're so random that you go, well, what would I ever do with that? Why would I ever? Why did I even think that? Why did that grab me? I was thinking about a memory uh, just a, a couple weeks ago. I had no idea where it came from. I remember being five years old with my dad at a football game. And it was, I remember it was November because the players were covered with mud, northern Pennsylvania. It was snowing. We're all bundled up. I'm sitting to my dad's right. He has a bag of popcorn in his hand. And he looks over to an older gentleman next to him who I didn't know. And he says, would you like some popcorn? And the old man said, no, no. I, I uh, do not care for that. I got one of those uh, popcorn seeds stuck under my tooth right there about a month ago, and I just got it out. I do not want any popcorn. <laughs> now, what on earth is that? I mean, it's not an idea. It's But when I remember it, it's still there's something about it that I rem- I remember. I remember the smell of uh, of cigars and the, uh, mm. in the uh, um, 
you know, people in the stands. I, re- I remember the smell of the popcorn. I remember my dad reaching. Over. I don't know why that is. I don't know what it is. But I grabbed it, and it's written down there. And it might become a scene. It might become a, a story. It might become an illustration of my dad's generosity. I don't know. Mm. I have no idea. I need to interrogate it to see what it is. But you grab, and you interrogate, and you transform. And as you do this every day, and it only takes a few minutes a day, pretty soon it becomes... It becomes intuitive. It becomes a habit, and it becomes easy. And you're and and what what really is happening is you're becoming emotionally alive. Mm. Where these things these things used to just go by you, and you didn't feel them, so you didn't even think about them. Now, when you're paying attention, you start to wake up emotionally. So I'm a writer, and you know, in my practice, I read a lot of books about creativity. I, I read a lot about writing. I don't I don't think that I've ever gotten such a beautifully succinct definition and sort of process for developing creativity. This is this is amazing. And I love that you start it with something that is accessible to everyone. And, and I know that there's people who are closed off to their emotions, but just even realizing that that's where it begins, I think will give people a starting point, just the willingness to discover your emotions do you know, does all creativity start with that self-discovery? Oh, I absolutely. I think it does. Uh, but we, for various reasons, and there are other reasons than, than, than poverty or other reasons in our educational system. Those are just some examples. But there are other reasons why we, why we shut down emotionally. Um, I, I wrote a play uh, back in the mid-90s with two of my buddies called, and the play is called Triple Espresso, and it's a, it's a comedy. Triple Espresso, a highly caffeinated comedy. It takes place <laughs> in a coffee. It's a three-man play, uh, three comics that takes place in a coffee shop, and it's a wonderful, it's about as much as you can laugh in two hours. And it took, <laughs> it took off around the world, actually, and we went to London, and we were in Dublin, Ireland for two years, and we, that's, that's the play that broke box office offices, uh, box office records. And even, even though so many people haven't heard of it, you know, it sold 3 million tickets over the, over the years. So it was, it was just huge. And, um, we were in Dublin, Ireland for two years and every night at, leaving the theater, I was walking back to my flat. Um, I walked by an art store and in the window and it was lit up beautifully in the darkness of outside, but the window was lit up beautifully. And there was a, a box of pastels there with, and, and there must've been a hundred, 200, maybe 300 pastels in this beautiful wooden box. And I, it, I would stop and look at all those colors. And of course, they're organized, as you can imagine, so that they're just grades of color. And it, it's just beautiful to look at that box. Mm-hmm. And something in it began to grab me. I, I'd like to try that. Boy, I would like, I'd like to hold one of those pastels in my hand. I'd like to see what that would do on that lightly sanded paper that you use for pastels. And, and so I bought a small set. And it led to painting for about five years with pastels. And I discovered something so interesting. Just because I was painting every day, I discovered that I was beginning to see the world around me completely differently than I had ever seen it before. For example, I discovered that shadows are hardly ever gray. Hmm. Um, I discovered, and this is one that really blew me away, chrome. When I say to you, Sarah, I want you to take this box of of crayons here, and I want you to create what a chrome bumper looks like on a car. What color would you choose? Oh, gosh. Uh, Well, yeah, gray. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Yeah. Gray or 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 white or, yeah. Yeah. You'd pick gray or silver. But you take a look at a chrome bumper. 
it's rarely gray or silver unless it's in a gray environment, uh, unless it's you're just looking at it from the roadside that's being reflected. But if it's in a forest, the, the bumper is filled with blue sky and green leaves and, and, and brown trees. And it's just this beautiful display of, of all these bright colors. That's what chrome actually is. I had never I'd never seen that before. And it was so exciting to to wake up visually. Mm. And I think that when we practice creativity, when we practice grabbing uh, and uh, those random thoughts that, that grab us emotionally and interrogating them and then going through the process of transforming. And by the way, the, the process is not always linear. Mm. You don't just grab and then interrogate and transform. Da-da, there it is. <laughs> I mean, some, sometimes you get lucky. Even in writing, you get lucky in that it happens that way. But usually what happens is you you grab and you interrogate and then you start transforming. But in the process of transforming and the process of writing, for example, um, things end up being quite different because mm-hmm. then you grab you grab more and you yeah. But what if I did that? I have to interrogate this because if I did that, what's going to happen to this character? And and that's how things begin to that sense of them writing themselves. But it's still grabbing and interrogating and transforming. When you when you begin practicing those disciplines, you don't wake up visually like you do with because painting is a visual art, mm-hmm. but but creating is an emotional. Uh, um, process that's what you're doing and and so creating helps you to wake up emotionally it it's a it really is a a beautiful thing i i was so concerned when i when i thought these thoughts that i'm describing to you now and and then i thought well maybe i could teach this and then i'm thinking well is this real you know Mm -hmm. doesn't doesn't everybody know this that this is the way it works that this is what it is and i started putting together this online course which which took me you know six months of really uh, heavy work to do and every day I would say is this real and then I would think about what I'd done working on the course all day writing it and putting it in and and uh, taping it and editing it and every day all I did was grab and interrogate and transform that's the creative process that's that's what you do this is interesting some people they're just intuitively creative for, again, a variety of reasons. And those are the people we normally say, oh, that person has the gift of creativity or that person is so creative. Usually it, it's it's just they're doing it intuitively. They're doing it naturally, which is – and that is kind of a gift. And what a wonderful thing that is. But they, they're they guaranteed to get themselves in trouble if they don't know the process. Mm. I, I recently listened to um, a, a TED uh, talk by uh, Gordon Sumner, the uh, Sting. Uh, oh, yeah. We, the world knows as Sting. And um, he was talking about his creative process. And, he, and here's a man who has won uh, 16 Grammy Awards. He's been nominated for Grammys 38 times. He's won 100, I mean, American Music Awards. He's won dozens and dozens of those. I mean, at the very, he's one of the top musical uh, creatives writers of of the last hundred years certainly and he describes how a few years ago a number of years ago he 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 went dry Hmm. and he couldn't he couldn't write a song and he actually did not write a song for eight years if you can imagine that I mean, that's when you start after eight years you start to go well i guess that that's not what i do anymore i guess that's not who i am eight years he did not write 
one song. And as he describes it, he says, my, my muse went away. Hmm. That's, a, that's, a, that's a very literary kind of way, way of speaking of creativity that my muse, you know, she, she disappeared. Well, I want, and I want to say, Sting, you, there is no muse. Um, the muse didn't go away. What happened is your creative reservoir went dry because you didn't know how to fill it. Mm. Um, and if you had known that you, you should be all the time grabbing and interrogating thoughts that come into your mind, you would have ideas just pleading for your attention all of the time. And it's interesting, the way he got out of this eight-year dry period is uh, he heard somebody speak in the dialect that he grew up with in 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 England, it was a shipbuilding town. I can't remember the name of it, but he grew up in this shipbuilding city, and people spoke with a certain dialect. And he heard somebody speak in that dialect, and it grabbed his ear, hmm. and and it, it moved. There was something in like, oh, people talk like they used to talk like that where I grew up. Everybody talked that way, and he began thinking about these people back then, and it was grabbing him emotionally, and, and he grabbed it back. Now, I'm I'm not saying he under he would have he phrased it that way, but he he heard the dialect, and and he actually wrote a little ditty, and he wrote a little rhyme in the in that dialect, and then he got his guitar and he and he put a little melody to it, and it was nothing. It was like, well, what would I ever do with this? And then he wrote another one. And another one. And he kept grabbing and interrogating and transforming these little songs that he was writing. And that led him to go, I wonder if these could be a musical about my boyhood, about growing up in this little town. And he then got some people to collaborate with, and they wrote the book, and they wrote the, they, they arranged the songs, and then he began to perform the songs to see how they worked on stage, and they were working, and they kept writing. And it was that grabbing and interrogating and transforming process that led to his Broadway musical, The Last Ship, which um, I saw in Chicago uh, four or five years ago. It was wonderful. And uh, it played for, I think, six, seven months um, on Broadway. And I think it's playing in the West End of, of London now. And it will it will tour for years. Mm. But he, he got out of that eight-year dry period. Because something grabbed him and he grabbed it back. That's the that's the beginning of that creative process. I love that you um, that you talk about about Sting's TED talk about his the way that he sort of harnessed memories. I feel like this is something very similar to what you're doing in your new podcast, The Wide Eyed Creative. Can you tell us a little about that? Oh, uh, I sure can. Uh, I wanted to. Um, I, I wanted to find a way, actually, to I wanted to find a way to market my online course, Mastery of the Craft of Creativity. Um, I launched it. You know, Sarah, there are all these. Um, you can go on and buy all these courses about how to create mm-hmm. courses online. You pay you pay lots of money to create to figure out how to even make a course so that you can sell it. And <laughs> it's so fr- you know the whole marketing thing. Uh, I, I don't enjoy it very much, um, but I. Um, I've been thinking about podcasting. My my sons, who are, are grown men now, they 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 had been saying to me, "Dad, you should be podcasting." And I said, "You know, I think I'm a little late to the game." And they said, "No, no, no, no. You're not late to the game. <laughs> there are millions of podcasts. What do you mean late to the game? Just do your own, you know." And mm-hmm. and it's, so it it doesn't matter how many people listen to it. Obviously, you'd love to have a big audience, but start it, and somebody will hear it, and. <laughs> 
And uh, that'll give you an opportunity to talk about your course as well. So, but I don't want to just, I didn't want to do a podcast to just sell my course. So um, I wanted to model in my podcast how I've used this process of grabbing, interrogating, transforming to, uh, to create stories of my own. Um, it's interesting because of the podcast I've been on, uh, since I've, I've uh, done this work, I've been a guest on many podcasts like yours, and most of them have been business podcasts. Mm. Very few have been writing or painting or dancing podcasts, and this is so fun because it applies just so directly to to what you do and what so many of your listeners uh, do. But um, one of the things that's been fun for me is years ago, my I moved my mom and dad out of their home in Pennsylvania. Mm. Uh, this was a home that I grew up in for the first 18 years of my life that uh, that I they lived in for 50 years, during which time they threw away nothing. And so <laughs> I, I, my dad said, I, I don't know where to start. I don't know how to do this. And he, he's old. So I said, well, you know, I'll fly out and help you. So I, I live in Minneapolis, uh, St. Paul area, but I flew back to Pennsylvania and helped my, helped my dad empty out the basement, which was just, I mean, it was just a, a remarkable job. And uh we got it all emptied out except for one table that had 20 slide carousels and a slide projector on it. He says, what are we going to do with these? They take up a lot of space, you know. And I said, Dad, you, you don't have to be the keeper of the slides anymore. Just, you know, I, I will be, I will take care of those for you. So I said, put them in those boxes, send them to me to Minnesota. I will be, I, I will protect the legacy of family <laughs> slides here. And I remembered our family slideshows, and I remembered that they were, uh, they were not very good. Uh, <laughs> my folks, we had bad equipment, and my and, and my folks were not good photographers. But I started going through these slides, and you talk about being grabbed. It's like every slide, and I remembered all of them because my generation, we had slides. We would have a family slideshow every six weeks because. Unlike today, uh, in the digital age, uh, children have no idea the fun they missed out on with double exposures and, and the <laughs> kinds of stuff that we dealt with. But uh, we had we would take a, a roll of 12 pictures or maybe 24. Later, I think you could even take 36 pictures on a roll if your camera was big enough. But then you send them to Kodak in Rochester, New York, and you'd have to wait a month until that yellow envelope came back and you'd open them up and then you'd put the slides in, in a slide tray and you'd and you'd have to put the screen up, and then you'd have to plug the projector in and put it on the little coffee table there, and to look at the 20 new slides you that you got, or 24 new slides you got, or, or 12 new slides you got. And then somebody would always say, oh, go a little, let's watch a few more. And we'd end up watching a thousand slides. <laughs> and we do this every six, six weeks, every two months of, of my boyhood. So I had all these slides memorized. I remembered them, but hadn't seen them in 20 or 30 years. And so to look at those slides of my family, uh, starting when I was about five and on up through our, our lives and family vacations and things that we did, I would be grabbed, you know, looking at one slide, I, I'd be grabbed by numerous things in, in the slide. One of my, uh, I have a picture of my little sister sitting on, on the bed. She was two and she had on a, a hair dryer, uh, not, not the, the kind where you put the bonnet on and, and oh, it yeah, actually yeah. blows, it blows up with warm air. And, uh, 
and I, so I can see her, which was like, oh, there's my little two-year-old sister. That's so adorable. And she had one of her, the feet of her pajamas. One of them was, it was turned back upside down. So it looked like her, like, like her foot, she didn't have a foot, you know, because <laughs> it was hanging off the edge of the bed, um, her sleeper pajamas. And in the corner, there was a, a, a tubular stand with a, a stereo on it. It was my sister's, my older sister's stereo. And beneath that, there was a record album. I could see the cover of the front record album. I couldn't see any of the rest of them. But as I'm thinking about it, I, I remembered every one of those albums mm. in there. The last one of which was Meet the Beatles. And that got me thinking about that experience of, of the first time that I heard the Beatles and the first time that my sister and I took that and put that on the stereo and played that. And it, there's so many things were grabbing me. And so I thought, well, I've got, I've got to write this. So I just started taking it slide, one slide at a time. And I would write a story about a short story about that slide, and then the next one, I'd write a story about that slide. So I, I have dozens of these stories, and so I teach about creativity, and then I tell one of those stories. And it's been really fun because sometimes I'm I'm talking about often I'm talking about people, other people who are in the in the slides, and sometimes I identify them if it's appropriate, but other times <laughs> I, I think well, I I don't know where this person is. I probably shouldn't say their name, so I won't identify them by name. But then I put these podcasts out there, and it's so fun. I, 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 my very first podcast was one about my, my buddy John that I, I sang music with in high school. He was in a rock band. He was a year older. I, I just admired this guy. And uh, when the band broke up, he said, hey, you want to do some duet stuff? And we, we sang together for two years. And it was just such a creative, wonderful experience. And, and he, be, being an older person that I admired, he made me feel important. And he made me feel like, uh, like uh, maybe I... I, I could do this. Maybe I maybe I had value as a performer, and um, so I told this story about him. I haven't seen him in thirty five years, and uh, and then I get a an email that or Facebook. I can't remember what it was, but some message from him saying, uh, "Haven't heard your voice in thirty five years." Hmm. And I was in the bathroom the other night, uh, connected to the bedroom, and I heard your voice coming. <laughs> from my bedroom, <laughs> I, my wife had stumbled upon your first podcast. And we sat and listened to it, and I just loved it. But then he goes, but then I couldn't sleep because there were some things in it that it kind of bothered me because I wondered, uh, you kind of left me hanging up in the air. You kind of, you, you, you left me as the guy like, well, you know, whatever happened to him and is he, could he succeed? He came from such a tough boyhood. Could he... Could he be successful in life? No, that's where the story ended. Mm. I didn't know. I didn't know what had happened in his life, you know. And so he said, uh, you know, let me tell you what's happened. Let me tell you the good things that have come out of that difficult childhood that I grew up with. And I said, why don't you come on the podcast and set the record straight yourself? Mm. So we had a wonderful conversation. And then several others have have, uh, have, uh, responded in the same way. I actually have a story, one of the stories I tell about about meeting Tom Hanks uh, when I was I was 21 years old working at a camp out in California. He was he was 16. He was, <laughs> he, he was just a kid taking the garbage out and trimming the flowers, you know, at this camp. Uh, he was he was a nobody. And um, I tell this story about about working with Tom Hanks because you, now now I've ruined it for every one of your listeners, but <laughs> uh, but uh, at the end I said, "So Tom, I don't know if you remember it this way. You want to set the record straight? Come on. It'll be fun. <laughs> Has he gotten in touch with you yet? No, not, not yet. It's, <laughs> and I understand it's not likely, but you never know, do you, Sarah? I yeah. mean, somebody somebody 
in this world, somebody could get it to them and say, hey, let, listen to this podcast about you, you know. So anyway, it's been it's just been a delight uh, to do it. And as a result, more people have learned about uh, about my class mastering the craft of creativity and several have have uh, bought it and, and enjoyed it. And uh, and that that has just been a real uh, honestly, that's been a blessing for me to listen to students say learning this process uh, and going through this process and working through the lessons that we do. And we have an online community. We have a Facebook page where we where people are submitting their lessons and then we can all talk about it and respond to it. And I and I also and this is great. I uh, it's been wonderful. I was concerned that, you know, will, will people should I be should I actually be talking to people on the phone? Should I? Mm. I haven't done this before. And I went, oh, what the heck? People want to talk. Yeah, we'll talk. And so we have. And uh, I've just made myself fully available to folks to call me. You're having trouble with the process. It's hard to grab things at first when you're, you know, I've had, I have students say, I'm, I'm, I went through the whole day today. I didn't grab a thing. Hmm. I nothing, nothing grabbed me. And I would say, well, you're right. Nothing, nothing grabbed you because you're, you're not awake yet, but keep working at this. Keep working at the process. And pretty soon well, I did grab something today. I grabbed this and I grabbed that. And, and now I'm interrogating it. And, and then they begin to transform things and, and write stories and, or write songs or, or put together videos. It's, it's just been such a delight. And to have people say, this, this course is, it's changed my life. Well, what, what more could, could a teacher want than that? Uh, you, you mentioned earlier when you were talking about painting, you said, you know what, I'd like to try that. And then you did. And it seems like you've done that throughout your entire life with all these different forms of creativity from podcasting to teaching to painting to playwriting. This is just so inspiring and wonderful. Yeah, I had a friend come up to me after uh, I have a one man show uh, called That Wonder Boy. Uh, and I've only done the show 100 times uh, in four or five different runs around the country. Theater is a very it's a very expensive medium and mm. it's it's hard to get the, it produced and and you can lose so much money so quickly uh, <laughs> or you can as i say in theater you you can't make a living but you can make a killing and that's oh. really true and and in in our first production our first the first play i ever wrote was triple espresso that i wrote with my two buddies and and we made a killing on that and and I, which made me think oh this is easy well then i wrote i wrote a one man show that called that wonder boy and actually won some some wonderful awards which i'm uh, so grateful for but it's so difficult to get it produced and to and to make these runs profitable but um i had a i had a, a guy come up to me after seeing my one man show and he said i would love to write up the backstory that you I, I had a backstory that i didn't really tell he said i'd like to write a backstory as a screenplay for for from your from your theater show here. Oh. Would you like to work with me on that? And I'd never worked on a screenplay before. Uh, I didn't know anything about writing a screenplay, and, but he had, he'd had lots of experience writing screenplays. So we started, that was seven or eight years ago. We've now written uh, literally 81 rewrites of, of our screenplay. Holy cow. Uh, and we've, we have then, uh, when I, sometimes we, obviously sometimes the rewrites are very small, you know, we might just change a paragraph here or two, but we, we have to identify that as well. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's the newest version. Um, and, and submitted it to lots and lots of contests and pitched it many times and nothing's happened with it yet. And now we've worked, now we've started to write a, uh, we're writing a, a TV series. Um, uh, and, and it, it's just been 
I don't know that it will, it will amount to anything. I don't know if I'll ever make a dime, and, and, and we've spent a lot of money, you know, on, on working on it. But it's been a wonderful, wonderful creative process. It's it's kept kept my mind sharp, and, and even more importantly, it's kept my spirit sharp. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's what I that's what I want. I'm I'm experiencing the fun that, that of play in creativity. Um, at, at age 65, uh, it, even more so than I ever did in the, in the past. It's, it's just been great. It's been wonderful. And, uh, and this is something, honestly, um, the, you writers out there, you should begin, you should, you should be experiencing this, the fun of creativity in, in your writing. Uh, and if you're dry, if, if, if you feel like I, I've just hit a writer's block, I can't write a, a thing. You've got to begin grabbing what grabs you emotionally just grab it's not an idea and that's the frustrating thing people mm-hmm. go yeah well what's that what's that i did that i don't even know what that is it's just i i don't know why it grabbed me i what am i going to do with that that's that's not going to help me in my in, in in what i'm writing right now no but it might help you later in what mm. you're writing and it might help you in what you're writing right now things grab us for a reason uh, and if but if we're not if we're not emotionally awake uh, or alive, things just go by us, and we're losing them all the time. And that, those are the, uh, this stuff that we're grabbing. That, that's who we really are. There's a reason that something grabs you, and it doesn't grab me. It's unique to you, Sarah. That's why it grabs you, and that's what you need to grab back because that's the stuff you need to be writing from. That's that needs to be the resource that that you use in your writing if you're going to write something that's uniquely you. Otherwise, you, you just write. You can write like somebody else all day long if you want to. You know, you can copy somebody else, but it's not going to be. It's not going to be satisfying because it's not you. Yeah. You can't see me, but I am nodding so vehemently right now. <laughs> oh, I, can, <laughs> I can hear yes. you. I can hear you nodding. <laughs> you can hear the marbles in my head shaking around. <laughs> just talking to you has made me want to go forth into my day, cancel every single thing I have planned. <laughs> Sit down with a pad of paper and some pastels or maybe just get in front of my typewriter and just write and create. I love everything that you've said about emotional resonance. I think so many people are so afraid to talk about emotions, but they are so crucial to your creative life. And like you said, to awakening to your creativity. So thank you so much for sharing everything that you've learned and everything that you've discovered about the creative process with us. Uh, you're so welcome. And and I would love to, uh, if any of you listeners out there, if you're doing events, if you have things that are happening where you're looking for speakers to speak on creativity, or if you're looking for just for a night of fun comedy, um, I, that's what I do. And I, I would love to come do that for, for people it. as well. So how can people yeah. find you? I'm going to have uh, links in the show notes for the, uh, for this episode today, bobstromberg.com slash right now uh, for access to Bob's course. But where else can people find you online? The, uh, the best place is bobstromberg.com, but also um, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, um, and uh, I, I mainly use those places to promote. I, I, I'm not I'm not a chatty Facebook person. Uh, <laughs> That is okay. I, I just don't have I don't have time to just I don't have time to be playing on Facebook very much, but I use it for, for professionally. So I'm I'm putting up in, info about the podcast and and about the course and and uh, other things that I'm that I'm I'm doing. I, I was on uh, Steve Harvey last week on that uh, the uh, Forever Young show. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, little big shots forever young uh, just had a ball so that's the kind of thing where that occupied a week's worth of, uh, of my facebook time with people just responding to that and, and so on so that yeah that's awesome yeah, I make shadows. If you can, if you can imagine, that's one of the things that kind of become a calling card for me in my comedy work. Is I I create hand shadows uh, on on a on a screen, and it's it's really really fun. But once again, that's one of those things like, why would you do that, Bob? Why? why <laughs> who who does that? And the answer is well, not very many people. Uh, but it grabbed me. I I was. Every every kid has made a hand shadow, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, every everybody has made a hand shadow on the sidewalk or on the side of the building or in the classroom or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, and and I did that, and I went, boy, this could be fun. I think I'm going to work on this, uh, which I did for lots of years, and and have kind of become a a hand shadow artist too. So anyway, I um, love it. You I'm make rambling. art out of everything. This is so I, I'm cool. I'm rambling now, Sarah. So. <laughs> well, your rambling is wonderful. And thank you again so much for sharing um, your story, for sharing your process, and for just sharing your personality with us today. This has been truly a gem. Thank you so much. You are so welcome. My, my pleasure. <laughs>